not have had a chance to meet, my name is Doug DeMint, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here, and I want to welcome you. It was, it's, it's always nice to look around and not only see familiar faces, but to see so many new faces, and I'm glad that people finally wait till the coldest day we've had this year to come to church. I'm grateful for that. I know that you all are, are strong New Yorkers that way. For those of you that may be joining us today, either here live or those of you that may be joining us by live stream, we have been in a series. This is the 15th week that we've been in a series on the book of Revelation. And I'm going to invite you, if you would, to take your Bibles. And we're going to be going through two chapters today, eight and nine. Now, I, I know people are going, okay, it took you 15 weeks to get through this far. How are we going to do I promise that you will not be here all day. But I do love the way that the Word of God brings to us such truth. Today, the title of this message is A Battle of Wills, A Battle of Wills. And I want to credit again Dr. Jim Bradford and Dr. George Wood for providing so much of the material that I have used during this series. One of them is a, a rocket scientist, the other is a lawyer, and they have some very unique ways of helping unlock the truths of Revelation as we've gone through this, and I have really enjoyed that. Today, as we talk about three great wills, we recognize that these are wills that are at work within our world today. And there's a lot of questions if we don't fully understand the way these work, and, and these are questions that I'm certain that you have heard, questions like, well, how can God allow, allow suffering if He's a good God? Have any of you ever heard that? Anybody ever asked you that question? If you don't understand the way that the three wills are at work, this will be difficult for you to answer. Questions such as, how can good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people or godly people? Or maybe you've asked this question, where is God in the midst of the mess that we find ourselves in as a nation or we find the world in or perhaps the mess may be much more localized for you and it's just the mess that you find in your own life today? And I want you to know that we are going to encounter these three wills within these two chapters. Now, we have recognized from the beginning that there's a blessing to those that read the book of Revelation. So I'm going to read to you the two chapters, chapter 8 and 9, and then I'm going to refer to different pieces of them throughout the rest of this message. But because we want the blessing, let me read these most fascinating chapters to you today. When he opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it at the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels, who had the seven trumpets, prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea was turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky, and a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood. 
A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. Chapter 9, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them but to only torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts look like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like a woman's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like a thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the river, the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice, 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads which they inflict injury to the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, wood, idols that cannot see, hear, or walk. They did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. 
Father, as we approach your word this morning, I pray that you would allow me the ability through the anointing of your Holy Spirit to take that which can be so confusing, and would you bring it in clarity for us? We rely on you, O Holy Spirit, to do this for us. Father, I also pray that whether they are here today in the sanctuary or they are watching online, I ask that you would do such a mighty work that those that have not yet been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that today would be the day that they would call out on your name and find you a Savior and Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm a football fan. I know some of you are looking at your watch today wondering how long I'm going to go because I know you know when the games start. A little over a week ago, I was watching a football game between the Cleveland Browns and the Kansas City Chiefs, and there was one play when the Cleveland Browns were going for a touchdown, and just as the runner was reaching out the football, some of you are nodding your heads, yes, it was just about there, and a defender from the Kansas City Chiefs hit him from the side. The ball left his hands, rolled across the goal line, and out of bounds, and we spent the next 10 minutes of time watching that from every single angle on replay. And at the end of it, they decided there could have been a penalty called, but there wasn't. And, and I want you to understand that, as I said at the beginning of the study, if you think that Revelation is in chronological order, you're going to have a terrible time trying to capture this. But I want you to realize that as we look at this, it is as if God is giving us an instant replay of different things that are happening from different views so that we can come to a better understanding. Because otherwise, time and time, we would come to the, e the, the end of humanity. The seals are open, and we're at the end. The trumpets sound, and we're at the end. The bowls of wrath are poured out, and we're at the end. And we just keep coming at this from different angles. When we get to the bowls being poured out, it's almost like stop action as we see things that are happening there in sequence. But in Revelation 8, 1, it says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. We find back in chapter 5 this great worship scene of heaven that was taking place where, where God is holding the scroll, and the scroll turns out to be the narrative of, of human history. It turns out to be the will of God as it's about to be poured out on earth, and it's, it's rolled up, and it's sealed with seven seals, and we looked at that and understanding that the first century church would have known what that meant because whenever they created a will and testament of their uh, the, what they wanted their life's work to go for, it was sealed seven times, and each of these had to be open. And so the first thing that we begin to encounter in this is the understanding that there is the will of God and the power of prayer as we look at this particular passage of Scripture. Here we find the seven seals are being opened by the only one who is worthy to open them. Jesus Christ himself had dealt the power of evil a death blow at the cross. He suffered in every way that could ever be possibly suffered by a hum human being, and he made it possible for you and I, who deserved that suffering, to be made right in his sight. He was killed, and he rose again, and he was buried and rose again, overcoming death and hell and the grave, and he's alive, and now he holds the seals of human history in his hand. And the first six seals of Revelation were open. We saw them in the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The sixth seal was open and seemingly brought us to the brink of the end of human history where it seemed as if everything in creation was falling apart. And then chapter 7 gave us an interlude. 
And now we come back to the seventh seal. And with its opening, there is this fascinating image that is given to us where there is absolute silence in heaven. If you were at a a production or a play, you would call this a dramatic pause. There is this dramatic silence indicating to us that something significant is about to take place. And what I want you to notice is this significant thing involves the prayers of God's people. Some scholars believe that what will follow is emphasized because everything else goes silent. And so it is as if the Lord wants to hear one last time all of the prayers of all of God's people. And while there's this silence and heaven is absolutely still, if you were to look at the stage, you would recognize that very quietly seven angels begin to make their way across the throne, across the stage, and as they do so, they pick up seven trumpets in preparation of blowing them. And it says in verse 2, and I saw, this is John, he's in his 90s now, the last living disciple. I saw the seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. So you had the opening of the the six seals in chapter 6 and now we open the seventh seal in chapter 8. And as this scroll bursts open at the last seal, we expect to see something at the end, and instead what we see is seven new trumpets and seven bowls. It's almost as if you look at this, and every time you get to number seven, there's a microscope that begins to take a closer look at what is really happening. It's as if they want to tell the story of God's will for humanity and how he's going to bring it about in greater detail. But we know that trumpets throughout Scripture have always indicated that there's a great announcement or a great event that's about to take place. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus comes again, it will be at the sound of the trumpet. And so after introducing these seven trumpets in verse 3, it says, And another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. Now, we have talked before that if you've not read the Old Testament, then there's going to be tons of references in Revelation that you might not understand because there are over 100 references to the Old Testament. But this would be one of them, people that had known the way that the Old Testament tabernacle was set up and and the way that the priest moved. We sang this morning about the incense rising, representing the prayers of God's people. And in this scene, an angel takes this golden censer, and it becomes the picture to us of our worship of our God. How fascinating it is to me to know that not only is the aroma, is there an aroma to our prayers that lifts to his nose, but also it's something that can be seen that constantly is in his presence. The prayers of God's people are in the presence of a mighty God. You also add to that the prayers of the martyrs from two chapters ago. That under the altar were crying out, how long, oh Lord, are we going to have to put up with this? How long, Lord, are you going to let this sinful world go? How long till you vindicate us? And as I thought about that, I said, that sounds to me a lot like the prayers that we pray today. 
Lord, how long is it going to be before my wayward child comes home? How long is it going to be that I'm going to have to put up with the circumstances of my job? How long, Lord, am I going to be in this place where my health is not good? How long is it going to be, Lord, before I see my family restored? How long, God, before you intervene? And here is this powerful picture that indicates that these prayers that we have prayed have a tremendous impact and are constantly being lifted before the Lord. It's like incense to him. Verse 4 says, the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. And so there's this incredible scene that all of the prayers throughout all of history, including the prayers and the worship that we had today, are being accumulated in front of the altar of God and are being waved before him. Oh, hallelujah that we have a God that hears our prayers. And while there is silence in heaven, the prayers of God's people are heard and there's special meaning. You know, we get to this point and we have already heard that there's tremendous sounds in heaven. I mean, we already know that there are, there, you know, we have the, the choir of angels and the living beings and the elders and they're all crying out constantly. And in this moment when the seventh seal is open, it goes quiet because God, before he does anything else, wants to hear from his people. And it's a remarkable thought because it's not till after he hears the prayers before he begins to act. And in verse 5, then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, combined with the incense of all of our accumulated prayers, and he hurls it at the earth, and there came peals of thunder and rumblings and flashing of lightning and an earthquake. I want you to know something today. You may have felt as if every time you pray, it hits the ceiling and comes back down. God has never once forgotten any of your prayers. He has heard them all. And God is going to act in response to the prayers of God's people. He clearly says that there is power in our prayer. And there's power when the sovereignty of God and the prayers of God's people work together. And then he's going to do something. In fact, in the sovereignty of God, he wills us to pray. And then in obedience, we pray. Then God does it. It's the great mystery of God's sovereignty and our prayers that are at work together. And we see that in this dramatic pause. This should give some of you great comfort today to know that God is going to scoop up all of the prayers from all times and he is going to use it to send it back on an unbelieving earth that everything we have prayed for, God is going to do. And at the command of God, the prayers and the fire from the altar of God are flung at an unbelieving earth. And immediately after this, the trumpets are going to begin to sound, and this is all part of the culmination of God's sovereignty and the prayers of God's people that work together. I thought about that this week when I thought of all the times that we have prayed together, and I've asked our staff to put together some pictures of what takes place even in our church. Right now, there's a prayer meeting going on with our children downstairs. I want you to know something. It doesn't matter how old you are. You could be a child. God hears the prayers of children. God does something when they begin to release their childlike faith and he works through them. And so every prayer that our children have prayed is being accumulated in the presence of the Lord. We move from our children to our students. 
And this was taken because they were outside praying when it was see you at the pole day and schools weren't even going on. But there was something about the heart of our adolescents, our teenagers, and our students that said, we are going to serve God. We are going to seek God. And God has captured all of those prayers. We move from that into the next picture of things that take place even around this altar that when you come and you wonder when somebody lays hands on me, is anything happening? I want you to know something is happening when you pray. And then the last scene of thousands of our youth gathering together at a youth convention as they gather around the altar with their hands raised, I want you to know heaven shakes and hells in fear when our students and our adults and our children begin to gather together and release the power of prayer. Our world will know someday that our God is a mighty God. By the way, we have prayer tonight from 6 to 7. We will see all of you there. And so we see within this first will that is demonstrated the will of God and the power of prayer. Unfortunately, as we continue through chapter 8, we will begin to see that the first of the four trumpets are sounded, and they happen in very rapid succession, and they seem to be especially focused on environmental tragedies that happen to our world including one trumpet that sounds almost like a meteor that strikes the earth and affects a significant portion of the planet. In fact, if you look at this, it's interesting when you go through this, the similarity of the description and the wording of the plagues that happened in Egypt at the release of God's people there. And so, so far, God in His sovereign will has been the initiator of these first four trumpets, but you're about to see the release of the second will, and that is Satan's will and the designs of darkness. We are told that when the fifth trumpet sounds, a key was given to open the abyss. It's called the abyss with a capital A. And it has been a place where demon spirits have been imprisoned. They've been locked up. They've been held back. And, and we know a little bit about the abyss from Scripture. The abyss seems to be a place where when the angels fell from heaven, God allowed some of them to have an evil presence on earth. But some of the powers he did not allow on earth because of their evil and their potency. In fact, we find out a little bit about this in Luke chapter 8, verse 31, when Jesus was delivering a man that was demon-possessed, and when he asked the name, it was legion, for there are many. You'll remember that passage of Scripture. Interesting enough that those demons repeatedly, the Scripture says, begged Jesus, please don't send us to the abyss. And so he said, would you rather go to pigs? And they chose pigs over being sent to the abyss. My first thought about that was you realize the, the seriousness of the evil intent of the demons in the abyss when you would rather choose pigs than go to be with your other demons in the abyss. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them into hell, and that word hell also means the bottom of the abyss, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. If you can imagine the second will, Satan's will, is now being released, and the abyss is opened, and it is unlocked, and what comes swarming out of this is all kind of demon spirits that begin to cover the face of the earth. And if we think that there is evil in our world today, it will compare to nothing 
when the abyss is opened and what will happen when Satan's will will be fully revealed on earth. These are pictured in the fifth trumpet. This massive volume of demonic spirits, uh, spirits that are escaping and it, it, they are so many that it begins to block out the light and they appear to John as he's looking at it as if it was a swarm of locusts. It tells us in, in verses 7 and 8, the locusts look like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold. Their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like a woman's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. Let me just quickly indicate to you what this represents. Number one, the crowns indicate that these demonic powers were given some sort of authority. The Lord was lengthening the leash for them to have an effect on the earth. So they had faces like humans indicating that there was a, a certain intelligence behind their evil, that there was a certain intentionality to what they were doing. When it speaks of long flowing hair like women, that would be a picture of swiftness, of how quickly they can move, how quickly they can damage, and how quickly they can do their work. The fact that they had lion's teeth is a picture of ferocity and indiscriminate cruelty. There is nothing good about this swarm. The message that comes to us out of this is don't mess with the devil. You are no match on your own. You have no chance on your own. So don't mess with the devil. You are out of your league if you believe that you can play games with the demonic and still be okay. Give him no place whatsoever in your life. Verse 9 says, They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. One of the theologians spoke of it as almost a picture of armored vehicles that are moving in the sound of war that is, that is rolling out in, in the sound of all this. And I want you to notice that it said the sting would torment, but just temporarily. Whether this is a literal five months or whether it is symbolic of something that will only happen for a short period of time, it would not lead them to death, nor will people be able to commit suicide during this time. And I want you to file away that, that five months in your mind because it will come to play a role as we wrap this up at the end of the message. And it says of this swarm of demonic powers coming out of the abyss in verse 11, they had a king over them. The angel of the abyss, whose name in, in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction, and in Greek, Apollyon, which is destroyer. You want to know the ultimate identity of evil? You want to know what Satan really wants to do in the lives of those who do not follow Christ? It has nothing to do with fun. It has nothing to do with enjoyment. It has everything to do with he wants to destroy you. And the king over this demonic swarm that encircles the earth in violence and vengeance and frightening ferocity is called the destroyer. I recognize that there may be people that say, you know what, Pastor Doug, it's 2021. Don't you think it's a little archaic to believe in demons? Don't you believe that it's kind of outdated to believe that Satan exists? 
I want you to know you better not open the door to the demonic. And it's so easy to do in our culture. So we've seen the will of God and the power of prayer, and we've seen the will of Satan and the designs of darkness, but there's a third will that's mentioned in this chapter 9. It's the human's will and the reality of rebellion. So now we begin to see what the purpose is of these first six trumpets. Chapter 9, verse 20, it says, And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, idols that cannot see and cannot hear and cannot walk. This is it. Why does all this happen? God was trying to give an opportunity for people one last time to repent. The rest of mankind that were not already killed in the plagues still had an opportunity to turn around. But they refused to repent. The human will is an amazing thing. And this is why every prayer that isn't answered, and we begin to wonder, God, why? Why can't you answer all of our prayers? Because sometimes when we pray, we are praying against the will of another individual. We are praying that God would do something in their life, that you would direct them and guide them. But God so loves humanity that he gives people the opportunity to resist the will of God and institute their own will instead. God respects the human will to the degree that he will honor our rejection of him if we so choose. And this is both wonderful and the terrible reality of human free will. Verse 21 nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. That sounds a lot like America to me today. Murder rates around our nation have skyrocketed last year. In fact, I don't know if there is any city in America whose rates went lower than they'd ever been before. Not only is murder rates high, our nation is full of mysticism and occultism. It has taken over the entertainment industry. And parents, listen closely. Even our children's entertainment, even our children's movies, even the things that we see from some of these famous entertainment centers are loaded with occultism that's being pumped right into the hearts and minds of our children. Scripture says, and they wouldn't give up their sexual immorality. Whether that be heterosexual activity that is outside of the biblical guidelines or homosexuality. And in America today, it is being both normalized and it is being celebrated. And it reflects the rebellion against God. And the people refused to repent. And it ends with theft. Theft represents not only a disrespect for what anybody else may own, but it, I believe it also represents a disrespect of human dignity. I will steal from you your dignity if I have the opportunity to do that. 
it's not good enough you're down. I want to destroy you. And in the middle of all of this, what is depicted to us in this final will, the human's will, is this idea that these judgments are being poured out on a society that is self-centered and a self-fixated culture. And we say, I don't care if I take advantage of others as long as I am the center of my own universe. It is my life. It is my choice. It is my will. And I will do what I want. And the Lord says, okay, okay, you have that right. You are free to do whatever you want with your own will. But know that there is a price to be paid for your rebellion. Kim, would you please come? One of the interesting things about this is the way that God designs these judgments. They're not designed to annihilate the entire planet all at once, but they're designed in such a way that God is, is giving each and every one of them an opportunity for the world and those that are lost a final warning and an opportunity to repent. Say, so, well, how do you know that? Well, let's, let's just look for a moment at the fractions that are used in these chapters. The first trumpet blows. One-third of the earth is burned up. The second trumpet blows. A third of the sea is turned to blood. A third of the creatures die in the sea. A third of the ships are destroyed. The third trumpet blows. A third of the fresh water becomes poison. A fourth trumpet blows. A third of the light from the sun and the moon and the stars disappear. In fact, one-third is used eight different times. And for those of you that are mathematicians, you're going, that, that doesn't work. That just doesn't fit. It's, it's the symbolism of all of this is not total because there's still chance, still an opportunity. It's like the five-month sting of the demonic scorpions that leave people in agony for five months but doesn't kill them. Why, why does that happen? Because God is giving you one more chance to repent. He is relentless in his pursuit of you relentless in his love for you relentless in his desire to say it doesn't have to be this way in your life and here's the sad commentary of the end of chapter 9 their own human will was more important than the will of God and they did not repent maybe you don't know God today Maybe you've been rebellious and maybe you've been one of those that's sitting back and you're just hanging on to, I want what I want. I want my will and I'll do anything I can do to get it because I am tired of having other people rule over me. I'm going to do what I can do. I want you to know today that there is a Savior that is relentlessly pursuing you with hope and mercy and grace that can change everything. He'll make you brand new. Brand new. We have been walking through this sanctuary on Sunday nights and we have been praying for you for this very moment that when you're brought to a place of decision, before the trumpets sound, you have an opportunity today to come to know Jesus and submit to him. Not just as a genie in the bottle that you rub every now and then when you want him to do something good, but the God that says, I will be your savior but I want you to let me be your Lord. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning.
Maybe you're holding out some area of your life today. Maybe you've kept that door closed because you didn't want anybody to know about it. Maybe you've just been holding back saying, I, I will wait. Maybe you thought, I'll just be a tribulation saint. Let me tell you something. It's not going to be easy. If you can resist the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in this service, I don't have much hope that suddenly you will develop a spiritual will. The first six trumpets are all about the compassion of God. God giving us one more chance to repent, and he tells us in James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. I'm going to ask that you would close your eyes with me. Because some of you need to ask Jesus to come near to you this morning. And I'm going to start over here on my right and your left. And if you're here this morning and you would like to make that decision, what I'm going to ask you to do is just open your eyes and look at me. And I'm going to say, I agree with you. And then after I've gone through the whole sanctuary, I'm going to pray a prayer for those that have responded this morning. But I know that the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of hearts today. So beginning over here on your far left and my far right, yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Just look at me and I will agree with you. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Moving now into the left center here. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Are there others? Moving now to the right center. Is he knocking on the door of your heart? Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Is this the moment that you've been waiting for? Is this the day you finally yield and say, okay, God, I'm yours? All the way over to your far right and my far left, is the Lord knocking on the door of your heart today? Into the overflow, yes, sir, I agree with you. I'm sorry it's so dark all the way in the back, I can't see. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Thank you for that hand. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Thank you for that hand. So, Father, today... Thank you for answering the prayers of your people that said, Lord, we want to see people saved. We want to see people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to see people escape that which is yet to come. And so, Lord, today we recognize we are in a world that is at a battle of three wills, the will of God and the prayer of God's people, the will of Satan to destroy, and the will of humanity that is living in rebellion, and today, in these lives, the will of God is won. So, Lord, I pray right now that as they have responded today, that you would forgive them of their sins, that they would just with their own mouth and their own way say, Lord, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you died to take away my sins and to make me a brand new creature in you, and that you will wash away my sins, and they will be cast as far as the east is from the west and never remembered against me today again. And so today, Lord, I choose you because of your relentless pursuit of me in grace. And Father, I pray that as they begin this journey of walking with you, that you by your Spirit would strengthen them. I pray that they would follow this up and be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit and develop a boldness that they could go out and speak the truth of your word and live a life that brings honor to you. Lord, we are a Pentecostal people, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. So Lord, we pray that you would pour that out upon us. 
And Father, we, we also ask that while you're at it, would you just go ahead and get rid of this virus? We want to have church again. We want to hug again. We want fellowship again. So, Lord, if it would be your will, would you just take these vaccinations and however you want to do it and apply your touch to it so that they will become effective. But, God, I am grateful that even in the middle of all of this, your word is still going forward. So, Lord, we love you and we honor you and we thank you for what you are doing in our lives because of your relentless pursuit of us through your grace.